today my guest is the one and only Liz Slaybaugh. I recently met her because I got my first ever DJ check at the Timber Room. Which you are so at. awesome. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, I have something to say actually. So, I forgot my DJ check. Like, yes. That was like for three days or whatever. It was a long time before I got it. I was like so excited. I didn't even know I was getting paid for it also, by the way. So, that was cool. Shout out Tavron for his release party and shout out mm. you for finding Tavron. He's an up and coming artist. He's been on the podcast too. And anyways, I decided to go cash the check. Not cash it. Deposit it at an ATM. Put the check in. You know, it's loading. And I don't realize it ended, right? So I'm just digging through my car. I go back and the ATM had taken my debit card and like sucked it in. <laughs> so like it took my debit card and I couldn't get it back. So not to order a new one. <laughs> I didn't even oh, know it could man. eat. I didn't know they could eat your cards. Something up with that check. Yeah. And I think I, I don't even know what I spent. Oh, I know what I spent it on food you know <laughs> brunch <laughs> i'm glad you didn't get like food poisoning or something yeah <laughs> just a trickle down effect more <laughs> so are you you're not from seattle you just said you're from michigan yeah how long michigan. have you been in seattle then um i've been in seattle uh i moved to seattle in 2000 i was 2018 um i lived in bothell for a little bit Ooh. and then i lived in olympia from 2000 15 2017 math that's how so, you know olympia you know, i'm like that's far six. as fuck <laughs> far yeah olympia <laughs> that's like two and a half hours right two hours i guess hour? so yeah it's pretty it's true i used to make that drive a lot to seattle um from olympia to seattle yeah just to visit friends damn but um yeah um so i guess i've been in the area for six or seven years very nice yeah so did you move here for booking? Because you're a booking oh, agent. No. <laughs> <laughs> My life is not linear whatsoever. Uh, yeah, I was in the military until oh. 2015, and then I got out. I was stationed up in Fairbanks, Alaska, and I was living in like a dry cabin, kind of like hippie community. Whoa, and... whoa, whoa, whoa. you want a hippie? <laughs> wait, 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 we can't. I feel like you're about to glaze over that too for a second. So you lived in a hippie community? It, it was uh, very what, intentional. <laughs> what's a dry cabin? Uh, it doesn't have running water. We had like an outhouse. Um, you had to like shove your poop down uh, after you like pooped outside Yum. in the outhouse during the winter, or it would turn into like this tower. Oh, um, pretty intense. Did you have like air fresheners or anything? Or? Oh no, I mean we didn't shower. We were. Yeah. Oh, you're you're full on. I was like. Told I was the first hippie to be a helicopter pilot in the army. So holy that's shit! The thing. Wait, so how do you go from being in the military to being at a hippie commune? <laughs> <laughs> I was living double lives. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. So um, when I got out, I loved Fairbanks, but it was too much of an island. It took forever to get home in Michigan. Um, and I was told that Olympia was a sister city to Fairbanks, so I moved down there. Thought I was going to helicopter school to be an instructor, and then I got into the open mic community down there. They do open mics. I don't know if they still do, but they used to, um, like, Monday through Sunday, essentially, you could go to an open mic, and there was, like, this little group of us that did that every single night, and people started getting gigs here and there, and um, I was not, I was showing up to uh, 
my classes all hung over and like wanting to write music and so I got out of that and eventually found my way up to Seattle um it's such a long story I'm here for it (laughs) so you're an artist I thought um, you were, I don't even I really don't know anything about you. I yeah. just felt like you're such a cool person. <laughs> we just had some we had a good connection, so I felt like yeah. I just had to have you on. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah. Um I worked for Department of Transfers Trans uh. <laughs> Transportation. Department of Transportation Hell yeah. uh in Olympia and like you were driving a bus? I was in the aviation division and I was a project manager. Ooh. Um doing all those fun airport projects and and outreach about aviation and why that's important and um and it just kind of kept itching at me I really wanted to be an artist and I couldn't figure out how to do it and I was still in a very linear mindset so then I was like well I'll go to animation school um so I applied to DigiPen um and I got in in 2017. I quit my job with Department of Tra- Transportation. <laughs> I don't. I can't say that word. I hate it. Uh, and yeah, I moved up to Bothell. I found this guy that owned a game company on Craigslist, looking <laughs> for someone to take his room, a room in his house. Um, and as a like part of the living there, I could intern for his company. Um, so I interned there as an artist. I went to DigiPen. Um, and then I guess the second semester is January 1st. Um, I decided I wanted to join a band. Um, oh my gosh. that was 2000, yeah, the first of 2018. So I got on Craigslist, and uh, there's this band that was like, Do you want to be a strong female leading an awesome indie rock band? We've got a spot for you. And uh, I was like, hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so I emailed them and uh, we went to uh, Evolution Studios down in one of those Renton. I don't know. Everett. I don't know. Those are total opposite places. (laughs) (laughs) Somewhere close to Redmond. Um, You know, they all blend together over there. Uh, Yeah. And I tried out and they wanted me to sing Creep. Radiohead. Oh, that's a good one. I practice that like yelling. Okay. I can't do it right now. Oh, and I'd love to hear that. It was that. just the moment of like, yes, I've made it. <laughs> and uh, so we became a band. They already had a name for it. Unfortunately, it was, oh, I'm about to like talk shit about this band. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> this is why I don't speak on behalf of anyone. Um, Except yourself. Yes. And the and the and nature, I'm guessing. Do you speak on behalf of nature? Only if it's like speaking through me. <laughs> <laughs> this hippie. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they came up with their name using a band like name generator, <laughs> and I just thought that sucked so bad. I was so embarrassed already. What's the name? It was the day one, and I was like, "What are you doing? Don't the, do this." The day one. Day one of meeting them, and I asked them like, "Where'd you get your band name from?" Uh-huh. Like a generator. It's like, oh, I can't even come up with a band name. This is not mm. <laughs> not good. But uh, it was Phoebe Kinks, and so I became Phoebe for a year, and then oh, you got, uh, so you had to take that name too. I didn't mean to, but it just kept happening at shows. People would call me Phoebe. Hmm. 
So, I mean, I guess it wasn't obvious it was, like, <laughs> generated from a computer, but, uh, yeah. Damn. Um, so I did that, and that's how I kind of got into booking. Um, we weren't that great. We were, like, a performance punk project. Okay. And, um, and so I couldn't, we couldn't just get shows by emailing venues. They didn't give a shit about <laughs> us. Um, so then I was like, well, I'll just be friends with everyone I possibly can and ask them to join their bills with them. Yeah. And so I just became a huge nerd about knowing everyone and every band and going to their shows and talking to them so that they just liked me and then they would let our bands join. And, um, and what year would this be around? That was 2018 to 2019. And I loved that so much. I, dropped out of animation school. I was working for the game company already. I was doing caricatures uh, for this company called Over the Line Art. Um, So I was like thinking I was becoming a creative and being able to get paid for it. And um, let's see. Yeah, I broke up with that band after a while um, because we were not writing music together i was writing music and then they're putting their spin on it and that wasn't enjoyable for me um we just didn't really get along um well a name like that phoebe kinks (laughs) yeah (laughs) um this is sorry this is this is a crazy life it sounds like yeah I'm, i'm here for it um yeah, so then I thought that I was going to do my own project, but then uh, this guy named John Wu, um, who I had met through going to shows, his band at the time was called Dead Honey, and oh, they were just so good, but they only lasted for like six months, mm-hmm. but I was just in love with their music. Uh, he reached out to me and told me he was working on a new project called Me. And he sent me a demo of something he was working on. And the song that he sent me had this, like, just crazy violin intro and then just turn into heavy garage rock. And I was like, this is dope. And he asked me to play bass, which I never had played bass before. (laughs) (laughs) But I said, yeah, like, I wasn't going to say no and not be in this band. Um... So I played bass in Jaomi. Wait, how'd you... (laughs) What? (laughs) Did you have to learn? Like, how'd you learn? Uh, He just, like, gave me... I mean, he wrote the songs, so I was just performing them. Yeah. Um, So I just spent hours with him teaching me the songs. Damn. Um, Yeah. That's crazy. It was fun. (laughs) And um, I guess that led to me being able to connect with some DJs at KXP, and it also gave me maybe a little bit more credibility because Jaomi was pretty good. Are they Um, still around? uh, John's taken it as his own personal project. Um, He creates with his partner, Ruka, and they live in Reno, Nevada right now. Very nice. Uh, Pandemic changes. Yeah. So, and their music is still playing on KXP, so um, you should check them out. I will. I have to now. Yeah. And uh, I think that kind of gave me the the foot in the door, though, um, of being able to work in venues because they knew Jaomi. Like, you, you could reach out to most venues and ask to play, um, and you would be put on a bill. 
So I interned at Chop Suey for uh, like five five months, maybe. I started like October, November of 2019 until the shutdown. And, um, and I also started uh, hosting shows at Timber Room with um, uh, a DJ from KXP and... And then the shutdown happened, and then I decided I needed to move away <laughs> oh. uh, because it was it was kind of like um, the music community in Seattle felt like the first place that I actually felt like I belonged. Yes. Like people are just really friendly. Um, you can talk to anyone at shows, and uh, and when the shutdown happened, it just felt like all of that was gone. And and that was really tough. I've I've been thinking about that more. Just like why did I leave? Like I love this place and I love the people that live here and I do have friends. But I think when that was immediately taken away. Oh, you mean you literally left? Oh yeah, that's when I moved back to Michigan for a year. (laughs) Yeah, I thought you just meant like yeah, I just had to step away from music. (laughs) No, you genuinely okay. Yeah. So yeah, I moved away and it, I didn't know, you know, when music was going to be a thing anymore uh, or again. Yeah. So, um, but then, yeah, I guess music started reappearing or live music like during the summer and I got asked to come back and be a talent buyer assistant for Chop Suey. Because you interned. Um, yes. Got it. And... Yeah, and I got along with that talent buyer, um, but they offered me—I uh, um, don't want to talk bad about them—but they offered me a salary that just was not going to work out for right. living in Seattle. Um, and I like counter-offered, and they ghosted me. What? <laughs> and I already had like my moving plans ready. Um, I was coming out here no matter what at that point. Damn. Um, but luckily, that talent buyer gave my information to Timber Room, and they were looking for a booker for live music. And so I got contacted um, for that, and uh, it just kind of seemed like it fell into my lap from there. And uh, I just ran with it. And so, um, yeah, that's how that kind of all came together. That's a crazy story. <laughs> what the hell? Did you expect any of this to happen when you first started music at all, or...? Um, no, no. Uh, when I was 17, I wanted to own my own music venue, which is still like my dream, but that seemed like a pipe dream at the time. Like there was no path to do anything creative, uh, when I was in high school. Mm. Um, in Michigan, right? Yeah. Damn. (laughs) So you spent, you grew up like all your life in Michigan? Yeah. I grew up in Michigan, went to school in Michigan and didn't leave until I was in the military. Damn. Yeah. Do you have family in the military, or? Uh, my sister was in the army um, for eight years. Is that what encouraged you to be in the military, or? No, it was just uh, it was a way to pay for college. I was an athlete in high school, Ooh. and um, it seemed like kind of the only path that seemed like it was I was going to get something out of. Um, at the end point, I guess. Like, I would have a job after college, and I would be able to go to college and have it paid for and not have a ton of student loans. So it made sense, but I never really 
was in line with the values of the military. So I think that's what like led to living a double life and essential and eventually uh, I got out two years early because wow. um, it wasn't aligned with my values. Um, Wait, what does that mean? Does that mean you got kicked out or something? How do no, you, how, I, I resigned. Um, <laughs> oh, I was like, it doesn't align with my values. <laughs> to get out. <laughs> um, yeah, I was a helicopter pilot, and the helicopter that I flew uh, was discontinued in 2015. Why? Um, because it was, re- it was a reconnaissance helicopter, so it was replaced with drones. Uh, um, I guess technology's taking your jobs. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I wasn't too upset about it because I was like, "Oh, you don't have a job for me. I'll I'll go ahead and leave." Dang. <laughs> and they're <were> like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> so you flew helicopters? That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> Is that? Were you ever scared of heights? Or um, no, until um, until I got out, I until I was in school to be an instructor on outside of the military. Uh, there was just one day, I don't know like what happened. Maybe I just stopped liking flying as much, but um, yeah, we were flying and I looked down and I was like, oh, um, we could fall. Oh. <laughs> and that's really far down there. And I had never thought about it. <sighs> I don't know, like maybe getting older, like I was turning like 26 at the time, so. I don't know. I think you become more cautious and aware of your life, but Jesus, yeah, I'm terrified of heights. That's cr- <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. But how did you choose to become a helicopter pilot out of like anything you could do in the military? Oh gosh, it's it's so loaded. Uh, <laughs> You're just full of stories. Um. Well, one, I realized that I could do it, and I didn't know that that was an option. But um, when I was in high school, my like high school crush like white buffalo person what's a white uh, buffalo person? a white <laughs> a white buffalo is like this person that you had a crush on or like really liked and but you never got to like experience it fully okay you never got to like play out the crush okay and it's called yeah. white buffalo yeah but okay. we were friends and oh uh, shit so you got friends on <laughs> yeah Aww. But not even like a good friend, like a shitty friend. Oh, fuck that person, right? Yeah, but he was a pilot. He got his pilot license when he was 16 or 17. Okay. And uh, took me flying. Uh, we like would fly around Wait, the stadium. Wait, you trust a 16-year-old to... <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I've always kind of been a thrill seeker, I guess. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah, we would like go and like swoop down over the football games what and uh is that illegal no <laughs> <laughs> um and that i don't know if i loved flying or i just really liked that guy but i wanted i thought i wanted to like marry a pilot which i don't want to marry anyone but now that sounds romantic though you're just flying over a football game with your crush right that's it actually romantic. crazy it's such a tease wow yeah um and so yeah i thought i just wanted to like marry or like have a thing with the pilot not be one but then uh during our graduation party or his uh we were standing around the fire Ooh, so an older guy oh no this so this is when we were seniors and oh but he was having his own high school and he was having his party yeah okay. um i was telling everyone that i was 
going to go into ROTC and join the military. And everyone was like, what? <laughs> what? You would never do that. Are you serious? And I'm like, yeah. Um, and then a, a helicopter like flew over our heads. And oh. Josh, the pilot boy, that white buffalo crush person, um, was like, Liz, I would marry you if you became a helicopter pilot. Oh, that's a total <laughs> tease there, too. Damn. So I did. <laughs> but we never got married. Damn. Did you send him your like certification? Be like, hey, I Oh, yeah. It. I definitely told him. Yep. And he's like, uh, maybe if you're something else now. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. So you got out of the military and then you wait. When I'm still confused about this, like this artist commune. This what about this hippie commune thing? I'm very interested in this part. So the military and then the commune and then Seattle. We're not talking about booking at all. We'll get into that, (laughs) but this this got some crazy stuff. Yeah. Um. So the the hippie commune cabin. Um. That was the whole time while I was living in Fairbanks, 2012 to 2015. So, yeah, I lived in that cabin, and then I went to work. Wait, so for three years? Uh, maybe two and a half, because it took a little time to find them. But What do you mean, um. find them? <laughs> God, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I met one of the girls that lived at the cabin, uh, volunteering at, like, a teen homeless shelter. Okay. Um, we both did, and we just, like, connected, and then... Uh, I looked at their the cabin was awesome okay it was two stories in the middle of the woods it had like a blue roof it looked like a castle it was called the Cloudberry Castle and we had like uh, bedrooms around the balcony and the whole floor was open at the bottom so we'd have a bunch of house shows oh shit Um, and we like set up a helicopter cargo net like where the opening was at the top floor and everyone could just like jump there and like lay down and watch the show from the top so it was like really cool Um, yeah and we could grow veggies outside oh very nice yeah what's your favorite vegetable um let's see spicy greens Spicy? That's a type of vegetable? <laughs> it's like spicy lettuce, essentially. It's just made that way? Yeah, just grows spicy. Did you grow spicy lettuce? I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have, actually. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> Does it grow in Seattle, too? Yeah, it's really easy to grow. Uh, it loves growing. There we go. Yeah. And so, how do people just come in and out of this is it a commune? Is that the right word? No, it was just a roommate situation, but it was just very intentional. I mean, like you had to go get your water from a water station, and mm. and yeah, um, I guess I don't know what to say about what makes it a hippie commune, other than people were just like very kind and friendly and gave each other everything, and okay. just like a very open community. And then why'd you leave? <clears throat> um. I was still very, like, overachievy, trying to, like, be very expansive in my life, and it just felt pretty stagnant at the time, and trying to fly to Michigan from Fairbanks is just a pain in the ass. How, how long is that dra- fly? Um, well, you have to fly down to Seattle first, usually, oh. um, and I think that's, like, two or three hours, and then, obviously, probably a layover, and then it's around four or five hours to Michigan. Okay, so did, do you think that like planted a seed in your head because you flew to Seattle so much? Or honestly, I never thought I would live in Seattle. Like I thought Portland would be the place. 
Why? I would never Portland. live in Portland. Portland sucks. Yeah. Ugh. It's like fake. Gosh. Fake hippie. They just, yeah. 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 Fuck Portland. <laughs> yeah, fuck Portland. Um, I would never live there. So why, why, why do you stay in Seattle? Why do I? Yeah. I just, I love the community here and the music scene. We are just so spoiled. Yeah. Like, not even just the talent, but the way that the community is, is so awesome. Like, it's it's regenerative. Ah, regenerative? There we go. Uh, oh, wait. That means, like, doesn't that mean, like, when you cut off your finger and it grows back? Yeah, kind of. So you can cut off a, or is it, maybe it's rude. Reju- rejuvenated. What is that one? Reju- rejuvenating. Rejuvenating. Is that a rejuvenating? One? Regenerating. One of those. I don't think it's regenerating. It's like a chameleon or, or like a gecko, like its tail cut off. Hmm. Well, maybe the thing that I like about it is, so you do podcasts, you DJ, yeah, and you also go to shows, yeah. And Nate Lewis, he's a podcaster, yeah, but he's also a drummer. He posts the weekly calendars for shows, and he goes to shows. And I go to shows. He's from Miami too, isn't he? Yeah, crazy? right. Crazy guy. <laughs> Wait, so are there some artists that do all that but don't go to shows? Is that like a no? What I'm saying is that pretty much all artists also go to everyone's shows, and so we're like this economy that exists in Seattle. We support each other to a certain extent, and we also perform. Yeah, there's some kinks in the system. Yeah. But it is pretty awesome how hard we nerd out on each other. Yeah. I think that's especially the band scene, though. Maybe. Uh, well, yeah. I guess what I've discovered from booking hip-hop and pop I feel artists... Like I want to talk about... Actually, continue. Like, <laughs> we can return. Uh, just this. Um, yes. Is that there is more uh, like collaboration among artists, it seems like, in hip-hop and the pop scenes mm. like I'll reach out to someone and they'll be like yeah I want to play and also you should contact all these other people and then you realize they've all like collabed on a song together yeah. or some kind of project and that is a little different than bands because they're like full on groups of people I feel like it's harder to collaborate true yeah maybe if it's like lead singers working together or I don't yeah. know how that I guess you could like pull someone on for yeah if they're a singer or something um hmm. but it it was just like an interesting realization that I don't get that as much from bands is that a recent uh discovery of yours um that yeah probably around August is when I was like oh okay hip-hop scene's cool yeah <laughs> so you mostly know about bands though yeah that's where I started out but I okay. am I'm Learning more about the other scenes. Wait, did you go to Freak Out Fest? I didn't. Uh, no. That was, so, um, was crazy. Yeah, I've been wanting to. I just haven't. It just hasn't worked out with my schedule to be able to go. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, bands have the best uh, time with like live performing and getting gigs. I think hip hop artists kind of struggle with that, though. As far as like getting gigs with venues? Yeah. Hmm. And, uh, like we like what we talked about on Wednesday. There's not it's not really a draw for hip hop in Seattle, from what I've seen at least. And you know, like a lot of my friends have been in hip hop in Seattle for like a decade plus, and they're not really seeing any like what is that f- 
fruits of your labor pay off? <laughs> yeah. Um, it just seems like I feel like I could almost go off on, but I'm just like a white person complaining about hip hop scene and <laughs> access to that. Uh, but I will say like for, for the high dive to give you a Wednesday yes. to have hip hop come play in a tech bro town. That's not, that's not how you do it. That's right. You know, you're not going to get draw. And yeah, I think that was probably a good move for you. And that is just such a, um, uh, I want to just say like a backhanded opportunity almost like it's not really an opportunity for hip hop to, um, have any kind of role in Fremont. Um, it needs to be, maybe it needs to start out somewhere that's just more accessible and where there are people that want to go to a hip hop show on a Wednesday night. But like, like we chatted a little bit about, um, uh, the station in Beacon Hill and they do like wine and R&B nights on Wednesday and those are hot. Like those happen. Um, so it's just, it's about the accessibility and like, who are you going to get to come out on that day? Um, and does that match what you're going to program? Mm-hmm. So, um, how do bands do it? Is it just that there's more people who want to see live music? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I think that if you are a band that's been playing around Seattle for a while, you know what what venues to book and when, and who you want to play with. So there's there's a lot of aspects that you think about before you say yes to a gig. Um, and it can probably be hit or miss as far as are people going to come out or not. Right. Um, but I probably in general, um, I mean, there probably is just more of a draw for rock. I'm not sure. Or for bands, live nights. Um, but I just haven't, I haven't been able to like explore that as much. Wait, do you think do you think bands have like genuine followings in Seattle, or is it that art people like just average people like live music, and that's why they're coming out to these shows? Um, I think that's a part of it. Um, okay. I think that's a little harder for hip hop or um, pop artists, even if they just have like backing tracks and there's no like live aspect and. There's been a loss of like MCs or hip hop and uh, the mixing of like art and dance into those nights. Uh, they just become maybe they like follow the same structure as a live performance night, like bands, and that's not a good structure mm-hmm. for hip hop or a pop night. They're different. Yeah. Okay. Um, because you do get the live aspect, but like, I don't know, watching someone up on stage with just like a laptop behind them yeah. and you're not there to dance, like it's it's hard to like get into it. Yeah. Um, there just has to be some kind of component where you're you feel like you're getting more out of the production. Yeah. Um which yeah, like Stella Mar, they had the backing tracks, but even having Nick up there with the yes. guitar and there's something about hearing Stella Mar live that you cannot get from listening to her um from her tracks like it yeah seeing her live blew me away she and I was not expecting too, that though, you know yeah 
Yeah, that was it was crazy. What what have you learned about live shows? You probably performed live shows. Yeah. Um I mean I guess I've learned like which gigs I would take and um and what is important to me out of live shows and being a musician in general. Um my Jaomi uh when John started that, he he wanted to be famous in a year. And I mean, he pre- he did a pretty good job uh, within a year um, as far as getting his music out there in the world. Um, but that just became less important to me, and that I guess that's probably my lens on music in Seattle and why I like this concept of artists going to shows mm. and also being artists um, and supporting each other. It just it just seems more powerful and that's just kind of where I'm coming from. Like I, as a booker, I still feel like a, a community member of the music scene first. And yeah. that's where I, that's where my booking approach comes from is that I want to support the community and artists. When I met you, you had a beanie on. I didn't realize you even had hair. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so do you think there are bookers that probably aren't connected to the music scene though and they're just yeah. like looking at numbers and things like that definitely um and maybe they have to be like like the crocodile i don't really know uh what their lives are out of booking mm-hmm. um but you know the crocodile is a huge venue now and they have they have to make money yeah um and i i don't think that they're as involved like as musicians um so it is more numbers um and i have worked with other bookers that it's it's more about the numbers um and i think that's important i think that's important especially for uh musicians that are trying to grow out of the seattle music scene um you do have to think about that um but I think artists are very aware of some ways that venues interact with artists that um, everyone was hoping would change after the pandemic that hasn't. And there's just, I don't feel like there's a very strong connection between venue and artist. Can you break down some of those like, examples? Um, the payment. The payment for artists is, um, is not good generally. Um, and that can come out of the draw. Like if you don't get people to show up, you're not going to get paid. (laughs) Um, but there's always this argument as far as like, whose responsibility does that really fall on for getting the people to show up to the shows? And, um, like working at Timber Room and I'm just starting live music there. There's been live music that happens, but it's been mostly on a showcase basis. Uh, when I was hired in July, it was more like we're always going to have live music here every week in some capacity and that's different um and we don't have people following timber room for live music like it's an electronic music complex really yeah so it's more like dj based oh yeah definitely and you're 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 actually aren't there some bars that aren't considered venues but some venues mm-hmm. most venues have bars but so you're timber room's actually like a venue Yes, yeah. Okay. Timber Room's a venue. Uh, you could go to the Little Maria's Pizza Shop and drink. Oh, and that eat pizza, pizza was fucking it's good. It's so good. Was, <laughs> I was not expecting it to be that good. Yeah. <laughs> God, I love it. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, if you perform there and you do a promotion for your show, you get a free slice. Oh. We just made that little change. Hell yeah. So, um, yeah, but if there's not a show happening at Timber Room, then it's not open. What about DJ? So DJs have to build their name up to get people into that to mm-hmm. Timber Room, I'm guessing, right? You can't just yeah. be like, oh, there's a DJ playing tonight, and everyone's like, oh, shit, let's go see that. Yeah, um, but most of those nights are, like, promoter-organized, so there's a promoter that gets certain DJs, and then that night becomes known for, like, this style of music. Um, mm. So you know that if you go on, you know, like, a third Thursday of the month, you're going to get this type of music, and it's ran by this promoter. Um, oh, like I went to I walk. I was in Fremont Sunday, and I walked past the high dive, and it was sold out. But it was because it was like a Queen cover band. So, do you think when people know what to expect versus like a mm-hmm. local artist, they're more likely to show up? I think so. Okay. Yeah, I think if you know, um, yeah, every third Thursday this is going to happen. You can count on it. Um, it's easier. to to go to because you know what to expect I'm repeating what you just said (laughs) (laughs) and I I think that could play out uh, in the live music scene a little bit like you know um, maybe it's like the venue is known for rock music so you know if you go to that venue you will hear rock music and that's that I also book at Daryl's Tavern and Where's that located? It's located up in Shoreline. Okay. Um, and that's known for like punk, rock, glam, that kind of style of music. It was glam. It's like kind of more like dancey, glittery punk. So there's actual glitter? Or is that just like a feel? Uh, if I picture glam, there better be glitter. Like, I think so. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Um. But other venues, you don't know what you're going to get, and, like, names don't really tell you. Mm-hmm. So I think that can be a little bit of a risk for, like, smaller shows, and especially with the prices of shows um, being, like, $10. Like, I know it, it's not that much, but it is if you are going to shows pretty often. So, But isn't that a thing where, like, if you're paying too little, people don't want to sh- – and if you're charging too little, people don't want to show up, and if you're charging too much, people don't want to show up either? <laughs> I, I heard that that's a thing. Is that uh... – I don't know about the too little, but but there's like you're probably leaving money on the table at this point, mm. like eight versus ten. Um, everyone's going to pay ten dollars. That was going to pay eight dollars to come to your show. And is that like the when people are starting out, should they be charging ten, or is there a different? I think that if you're if you think you're ready to play a show, um, you should be at a point where you can charge $10 for someone to show up or, you know, find other avenues like playing at house shows that can be $5. Um, But to play at a venue and to be able to get paid, I mean, there's a lot of reasons that you can choose to play at a venue, but if you're looking to get paid at a venue and you play, it should be $10. And then how does an artist make money for people who haven't thrown events? Like how how does an artist make money by performing at a venue? Um, well, like marketing their show is big, having relationships with people that will come out and see your show. Um, I mean, that's getting the draw to come to your shows, um, is how you get paid essentially. (laughs) (laughs) Cause you usually get some kind of percentage of the door. Okay. Um, 
sometimes the venue takes 25% to pay for their venue fees or they'll pay you a 100% door uh, split after they take out the fees uh, for the venue. Um, so it can be pretty small amount if you only have like 10, 15 people showing up. Yeah. And then drink sales also. Like how does a, do you know much about like the Vera project? Mm-hmm. So how does the Vera project stay afloat? I don't know, besides like, I'm part of the Veritas projects. I understand they have like sponsors and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. But like, how does some how does a venue that doesn't charge drinks or even sell drinks still get like a good draw versus a venue that has, can count on a bar? Um, I th- I do think that that comes more from um, sponsorship, fundraising, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of support. They could have investors that are just invested in the the mission of that place. Um, I don't know outside of that how you get your venue to stay afloat unless um, it's a pretty small place and you have the draw. So bars are important? They are. Yeah, I've actually, uh, I booked a show at Daryl's Tavern um, this past weekend with uh, Mr. Dinkles, uh, Dog Patch, and Bitch Fits. Those are some crazy names. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) I thought I would. N- I never thought I would hear that. Those three names in a <laughs> sentence ever. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it was such a good show, though. I was so happy about it. I was like, man, I'm gonna make this place cool. Because when I was in a band, I would never play there. Hmm. And so that has been like my mission. Like, I'm gonna make this place cool. I want people to want to play here. And I felt like I'm doing it yeah. that night. Uh, but then, and it was a good door split for the band. So I was really happy. I was gonna be able to pay them. And, uh, but the owner was there and he's like, yeah, like they're all really good and I'm glad they're getting paid, but young people don't drink. Mm. Um, so we didn't make any money. And I was like, oh shit. <laughs> oh, Put it on the zoomers tab. Like, uh, <laughs> damn, <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah. And I don't know what that is. Um, I guess I have noticed that. It's expensive as fuck. That's what I was thinking. Like, yeah, you pay $10 that. to go to a show. Like, that doesn't leave a lot of money to spend on drinks. Yeah. So, um, but that's important. Yeah, the bar sales are the money maker. The show really isn't unless you're, like, a big venue. Mm. So. And some venues help promote. Or is that is that not all venues, though? Or It's not... It depends on, like, the scale of promotion. Like, I would say the standard. And a lot of this is just talking about, like, small to mid-sized venues that, like, your typical local band will play at. Um, The promotion is, like, you know, Instagram, getting it on a ticketing website, maybe The Stranger, but I think The Stranger is, like, dying. Yeah. Um, Getting on Facebook events. Nate Lewis's. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, but I don't really know that that is like how you get people to come out. I don't, I think it's the relationship building and people like actually wanting to go see people perform. So it's like word of mouth almost. And... I think so. Cause okay. like I said, like I, I think like 75% of people that show up to shows are artists. Dude. Yeah. Maybe so, even 80. Let's push yeah, it to 80. I was going to say, <laughs> but yeah. Or like, but this is in Seattle also. Yeah, yeah. And if we haven't clarified, um, Liz is a Seattle booker. Yeah. For, as of right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So I think you just need to have relationships with other artists so that they want to come out and support you. So what what difference? What's the difference between like live shows and small venues in Seattle versus like LA? Is there just like more people in LA and it's just the mindset? Because I feel like it'd probably be easier to get people in LA to go to a show. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, it's LA is more of an entertainment uh, industry. Okay, that's um, true. Yeah, I I don't think Seattle doesn't have any like huge entertainment companies that I can think of. I guess Amazon's trying to tap into that. Oh, they need to um, get all their employees. But... <laughs> Somebody needs to link up with Amazon and get like, if your employees come, they get fifteen percent off a ticket That's or something. That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, go. there's a lot of Amazon bands too. So. Wait, what do you mean? Uh, Amazon people bands? that work for Amazon that want to be musicians part time. But can they? Which. No. They they can afford everything from um, what's the big guitar center. They usually show up with all of Guitar Center on the stage and then like press buttons. It's like, it's like when you have all the equipment, but you don't know how to use it almost. Like, or yeah, they can probably like afford a bunch of lessons too and like someone to write their music. I don't know. That's wild. Yeah, but I was, I've been thinking about there that are a lot. lot of them. One of my friends, he goes to UW and he's in software engineering and like he was telling me about like his first contract he's going to get right out of UW, like right out of college. And I'm like, holy fuck. I was like, so what's your dream job, though? He's like, eh, I want to be a producer. Yeah. And I was like, shit. My friend who wants to be a producer probably has a better chance of actually making it versus my friends who are near homeless yeah. just pushing their music because he has the money now. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, and it seems like a pretty common uh, path for people that get into the tech industry at some point in uh, in their life. Maybe I'm this is too general, yeah. but I've seen it happen a very large amount of times of like getting into these corporate, maybe because I'm projecting like this happened to me. Okay. Uh, you get into like these corporate like careers, and then you're like missing out on this creative side of you, and then you're like, I'm just gonna quit everything and be a creative, mm. and then you have all that money saved up, and yeah, it's a lot easier, but you're also like kind of fucked up because you're like 26 or 27 like rediscovering this whole creative part of you it's like a midlife crisis yeah definitely (laughs) damn those guys those are the ones that should just be funding everyone else you know yeah there you go (laughs) but um i guess either way um i just feel like the the core of it should be that you love making music right. and hopefully like that is rewarding in whatever situation that you're in. That's another thing I do see when I, when I had Nate on, that was a long podcast. It was like <laughs> two and a half hours or something <laughs> crazy. Whoa. It was just spur of the moment too. Cause I produced his and I was like, I want to do mine. He's like, sure. <laughs> Wait, something that that's not all bands, but it, it kind of seemed like a lot of bands do it for the love versus like a hip-hop artist or maybe even pop, they have clear intentions that they want to be, like, rich and famous. Yeah. But it also comes down because it's an individual person, you know, and even just from a social media perspective, people want to follow an individual person instead of a band. So, uh, yeah. So that's why, like, you'll see, like, huge bands that don't have, like, millions of followers, but then you'll see, like, 
some TikTok influencer yeah. and they have millions. It's a it's a weird mix. So I don't I don't I don't know why individual individuality wants more money than the group. Yeah. Well I kind of wonder even like you could have a million followers, but I don't know if that's even meaning that you're like making a living off of It's all yeah, all this stuff is so relative. Yeah. Like I don't have that many followers and I still get into cool places. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So I don't I I think all that social media and streaming numbers don't really mean much. Yeah. I there was I mean, the Spotify and Rap just came out and I know like all of us are yeah. getting on our little soapboxes about it. <laughs> um but uh Gabriel uh Teodros like posted about I think he was in the hip hop scene for a bit. He works at KXP. Okay. Um I don't know. But he, he like posted about like your Spotify streams are not you don't get money from that. Like you could have millions of streams and you're pre- making like a pretty good living, but it's equivalent to like uh you selling fifteen CDs. Uh. And that and people taking those fifteen CDs and then like dispersing those to thousands of people. Like if you think about how many plays that song is getting to like the ratio of what you're actually making um and it was pretty sobering and he just said like I got my life back when I stopped pursuing like hip-hop music as my career and it just became a part of my life like as something I love and um like for him he found another outlet that is still creative but it's not like trying to make it as artist and um so I just I mean, Shayna Shepard, she uh, is starting to, like, grow immensely now and taking off in her career. But I don't – I've never gotten the vibe that uh, she wants to be successful, but you can just feel it, that she loves music so much that that's all she wants to do. And I think that's so different than I want to be famous as a musician. Because once you start seeing you're not going to be famous, it's like it drops. But how does that happen? Do you think it just, how do you not become famous? Do you think anyone can be famous if they work hard enough? Mm, I don't like that myth of like work hard and you're going to get something out of it. But I do think that probably uh, you're going to see opportunities more often if like you love what you're doing and you want to do more of it. You're going to see opportunities to do more of it. But, you know, like like the thing at the high dive that you got asked to do for your friends, that seemed like a blessing, yeah. huge opportunity. Um, and there are those uh, opportunities that kind of just put you into a loop or, like, yeah, like working upstream. Like you're yeah. never really going to see a payoff from that. So it also takes a little bit of um, like judging your opportunities and if that is going to give you something that you want and that you enjoy. Um, if they enjoy that and they don't get draw, like that's still awesome. Yeah. Um, Dude, my guy Nestor was the most happy camper. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great show. <laughs> but I feel like I feel like it. I don't know. I'm very. Uh, I feel like I'm a creative guy, yeah. but I feel like I lean more on logical stuff. Mm. So, which I feel like either you're most people I feel like are either logical or like creative, mm. and I feel like I'm blessed enough. I'm a little bit of a mix. Yeah, but I think 
you genuinely do need a plan mm-hmm. if you if you do want to be like famous Definitely. or successful. And I think there are tons of distractions that oh, happen yeah. that people don't want to talk about. I feel like a lot of people fall into the same like hole, and no one wants. Maybe they're embarrassed about it, or don't want to tell people. But I feel mm. like every, a lot of th- people get stuck by the same roadblock, in my opinion, at least. I don't know. What What would you say that is? Um. Uh, well, my my opinions on Roblox. I was telling my family about this also. I'm a, I'm probably a psycho, honestly. Like, I don't dream like fantasy dreams. Mm. I, I dream about like, a, it's like a choose your own adventure. Have you ever read like a choose your own adventure yeah, book yeah. or anything? It's like when I dream, it's literally like me deciding like how an event can unfold. If I have like something that's going on the next day, it's like mm. unfolding how that event can happen and all these different possibilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I wake up and I most of the time I remember that dream and I'm like, I should do this. It's like it's like so I don't like I I'm really big in having like a plan mm. versus letting things happen. Yeah, you know. But I don't think so. With that being said, my idea of <laughs> roadblocks are very like almost like fucked up and like <laughs> like it would offend a, a lot of people oh yeah i'm interested like, i don't know like maybe we'll talk i feel like it's an after right, part you know like what i mean fair. like like i'm so like in my zone on what i want to do with my life mm, that like yeah some i don't know maybe it, my mindset on things will change as i get older but my mindset on roadblocks right now have uh in my dreams (laughs) (laughs) led me in the right direction so far cool so i'm confused about the difference between like a booker and a promoter i feel like can't they be the same thing um yeah and honestly i'm still kind of trying to figure it out because it can get a little blurry like we have people that don't work i've worked with people that don't work in the venue but we don't do our deals with them that are the same way that we do deals with promoters Hmm. um but essentially like a promoter designs their event and uh i mean they have the choice of what venue they're going to go to but like the event exists in its own little like bubble and then they find a place to put it um versus like someone like me like i'm just going out and finding uh, bands or performers to just perform in the venue. It's not under like a specific event. We're just filling dates on the calendar. Do you eventually want like specific dates for things? I mean, I would love to not book on Wednesdays. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but uh, but for the most part, I I work for the venue and I fill the dates um, as the venue wants them to be filled. Um, versus a promoter comes in and is like, I have this cool event. This is how much money we think we can bring in. And uh, these are the performers. And uh, we have pretty standard deals for them. Like it's either like you pay a venue fee mm-hmm. and then you get the door split or you get a, a door split and the venue gets a percentage of that. And um, Oh, that's a question actually. Yeah. How do you... Some of my friends have to pay venue fees and others don't. Like, how does, when is that decision made? It's it's just all dependent on on the venue. Hmm. 
and like right now it's probably going to change at some point but we made the decision at timber room for the live bands um to just get 100 percent the door we don't charge a venue fee because we don't we're not bringing in the draw for people really right. um people aren't like i said they're not coming to timber room to see live music and they don't know that that's actually happening um so it the responsibility is more on the band um so just didn't see it as being fair or motivational to be taking a portion of that um but if you go somewhere like um chop suey i don't know what they're doing now but when i interned there we would take venue fees off out and then the artists would get the split Mm. that's remaining but chop suey is very well established as a live music venue you know you can go there almost any night and see live music yeah and they they have like at least some kind of standard for like what the music is going to be it's going to be of some kind of quality yeah when you show up there like touring acts come there yeah all the time. definitely yeah. so did you guys just recently decide to do live music at the timber room yeah it's been like they've done showcases before in crybaby studios out of um Capitol Hill. Oh, I've been there. It's the one underground, yeah. right? Um, they oh, might no. have done shows in Crimework, but Crybaby is uh, Crybaby is um, uh, practice studios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's down. Da- it's like underground Seattle. Oh, I have didn't you, know that. You haven't been to Crybaby Studios? Wait, Crybaby Studios. Um, I don't remember going underground, but maybe I went to a while ago. I went to a like over the summer. I went. There's like a door and you go down. It's like yeah, I guess maybe crazy hallways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There might be a upstairs, huh? One of my friends got like a residency there for a little bit. Oh, cool. Well, they used to do showcases at Timber Room Crimework. Oh, um, so kind of events like that would happen there. Can you break down what a showcase is real quick? Um. So showcase is just essentially like crybaby or some kind of like it's like a promoter, mm-hmm. um, just choosing artists like curating a bill for a show, and is showcasing like crybaby would would pick artists that practice at that space. So it's kind of like a little community coming into a venue. Oh, so a showcase is different from a concert because like a concert, you're coming for a specific person and there's openers or how? Would- yeah, because. Like a show, usually, um, I could probably twist a lot of it into a showcase, but the show is just like a bill that gets put together because artists are available to play mm. um, versus something like a showcase is is more intentionally curated um, under some kind of umbrella-like theme. Mm. Um, like we've done, we did a loose solo showcase, which was just solo artists, Um so it's it's a word that you can throw on like i think i chatted a little bit with you um during nestra's uh show about um an experience when you when you book a show when you're promoting a show to be able to tell people they're going to have an experience that they're not going to have otherwise um, can be a good um marketing attempt um or like the gala coming up like yeah. they, they have to be in a suit and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so calling it a showcase makes it feel like more curated, um, more of a community feel to it. Mm. And you're getting something that is like well packaged 
And you put you put bills together, right? Yeah, I put all of the bills together. And then how do you choose what artists? Um, so I like to approach it in a way that these bands are, or artists are going to sound good together. Um, but sometimes I like to be collaborative, so I do ask the artists if there's people that they uh, like performing with. And if they give me artists, uh, I prefer to just go that route and work with them on people they want to perform with. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, it's just uh, me knowing about bands. I do a lot of research all the time yeah. and trying to put together something that's going to sound good and also get a pretty good draw for the night. And what are some quick like do's and don'ts for people trying to throw events? Hmm. Um, I mean, if I put it through like if you're a band trying to book a show. Sure. Um, I would think about what day and who likes to come out to your shows. Um, think about just going ahead and building the bill yourself, um, especially if you're a smaller band. Um, like you writing a venue and saying you want to play a show, you never know when that's going to happen because they're only going to put you on like an opener slot but if you reach out to bands that you like performing with and have a better draw or an equal draw or whatever if you're able to just go at a venue and say I have this bill um, these are who performing this is our draw for a weeknight weekend um, this is what we sound like here's our band promo photo a booker is way more likely to say yeah let's do this um so I would just say, like, trying to cover your part of making sure that you're going to have draw for the night um, and that you have things organized so it's easy to work with the booker and you can get the announcement out um, for your event as soon as possible. Like, you should be booking your events out 60 to 90 days so that you have enough time to plan everything and to promote your show as heavily as possible. And how do you go about promoting? I heard there's, like, you're supposed to do it like three different ways or something for it to get into people's minds. Hmm. Isn't that a thing? Interesting. I've heard things like that. I, I've heard like uh, uh, visually you have to see something seven times hmm. um, before it uh, uh, affects you, like makes you want to learn more about it. Um, yeah, I don't know about the three things. What are the three things that you heard about? Um... One was like social media, one was flyers. I think the other was just like word of mouth. Okay. And then that makes sense. And then another thing is like it has to be on like well there's like multiple like and then you could break down those three things and you have to do like multiple things within those three yeah. things. No, that that makes sense. Yeah. Like social media, it has to be on you if you're the one throwing the show, you're a show. You're your guests show like they, they're, they're people performing with you and then there has to be ads and then so those mm. are three different things there and then maybe any blogs or something like that yeah i don't know i'm still trying i want to start yeah. doing shows but um so i'm i'm just soaking up information yeah honestly. well you know i mean it probably helps to ask yourself like what makes you want to go to a show um i i I'm more likely to go to a show that someone's asked me to go to yeah. and not like passive 
like you've just been invited by someone on Facebook to oh, go to I this event. Oh. I think artists should just get off Facebook and Twitter in general. <laughs> you know? Especially in Seattle. There's just so much drama that always gets caused on there. I'm like, yeah. there's no need. <laughs> that Seattle musicians page is pretty entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so how do you feel about uh COVID? Like, do you really think this is gonna get I'm not trying to get dark here, but I've been really thinking about this. Like so if everyone's vaccinated and goes to a show does that mean no one's going to get COVID if they go to a oh, show? Oh, no. No. I mean, I'm not a scientist. I don't... You look like This one. is like a no, lame person <laughs> understanding COVID, which is my yeah. favorite. Like, mm. just your everyday people telling each other how life works. <laughs> Science. But I'm pretty sure that you can, you can be, like, tested negative with COVID, but still be carrying it to give to other people. What a surprise. <laughs> And, um, but I do feel like, uh, at this point, it seems like people want to have some kind of, I don't know, normal life. Um, they want to go to shows. And so I feel like venues are doing their, and I'm not saying that venues are doing it to make people happy. It's, it's money. (laughs) Um, but, uh, they're doing their best to be open. So like. I get artists that like come at me about requiring a vaccination card versus the COVID test. Yeah. And, you know, I just feel at this point, everyone is trying their best to make things safe, um, make things accessible for people in that, under that. And, um, so it's hard for me to like criticize that. Um, and I probably the, the, uh, more strict, stricter, Uh, that venues can be on those kind of things to keep people safe like we don't know what this next variant is like we don't know what's around the corner with these things so I think trying to be as safe as possible is just is the best thing that people can do right now like we all would love to take our masks off and mosh and and all of that but it's just not time yet yeah like it honestly it feels like it's been forever but it just it hasn't it hasn't. Yeah, <laughs> we're still waiting for zombies. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I I don't know. I feel like some people feel weird about the vac. I don't think anyone should be forced to be vaccinated, but for yeah. like, to go to shows, I think that's fair, right? Yeah, like especially with what I do, like I'm around on a normal week. It's at least like three to five interviews I do, and those are just interviews. And then on top of that, I have clients. Yeah. So if I'm going to shows, and then have to go to work the next day. I don't want to risk getting anyone sick there, yeah. you know. But it is a uh, it is a little weird because you know you're still standing right next to people it and is. you are moshing. Yeah. And people have their masks off on the stage. Yeah. And they're yelling and um and half people have you know like the mask down ab- below their nose and um so it seems a little silly to have masks on. Yeah. Um, but. Like I said, I, I think that people are just trying their best, and it's going to be a little stupid. Yeah. Um, yeah, really, we've got to wait for these zombies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there uh you've dropped a lot of gems today. And oh, I'm gosh. happy that we got to meet each yeah, other. Yeah, we went on a, a journey yeah. here. <laughs> is there uh, any final advice that you Can have? Can I look at my notes? Yeah. <laughs> if there, actually, we have, what time is it even? We probably have time for you to cover some notes for sure. Let's see. She's got a whole list. Let's see here. 
Hmm. No, I don't. I think we covered everything. Like I maybe a little bit more elaborate on like the booking opportunities. Like, yeah. Actually, yeah. How do people reach out to you for booking? Well, <laughs> yeah. If uh, if y- if you put out like my Instagram name. Yeah. Yeah, Liz exists with two Z's. Liz. There we go. Um, Is that short for anything? Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Okay. Yeah. You look more like a Liz. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> or a Phoebe. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. Uh, that would, no. Um, yeah, so my email is on my Instagram, and that's the easiest way. And I'm just more likely to respond if you send me things like, obviously, your band name, what you sound like, who you like playing with, uh, what dates you're looking at, and if you pitch a bill and it, it looks good, it's like pretty sure that we can find a date for you um versus like trying to find uh, a bunch of bands that are available on the same day and if you're like uh an emerging artist that that gets pretty uh difficult yeah because uh, they're still also trying to build a cohesive bill um but I, on the other side of that like there is a time where emerging artists they say yes to a bunch of shows just any show that comes their way yeah and maybe you do that um for a couple months uh that might be good because you still need to get practice and performing live um but there's a certain point that that burn spans out and i just i think that it's wise to consider what your yes and no uh factors are to saying yes to shows and I was given a list of three things, but I can never remember the third thing. So I, I, it's probably on the bands to decide, but I have like, like, does it make you money? Is it going to be fun? Do you need to practice rehearsing your shows? And is this a good opportunity for you to do that? Um, are these bands that you even like? Like, do you want to stay around for the show? Or are you going to leave after you play? Because it's pretty shitty, but we all do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... And do you want to do it? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, like, a pretty good list to start with. Um, I, I don't think that band should be saying yes to everything. And especially if you're a new band, people are not going to come out and see you every time that you're playing. So you want to space your shows out. Um, usually venues have a requirement uh, for it to be 30 days, but I don't think uh, most bands follow that, especially right now because uh, no one's really touring. Yeah. So bands are kind of overplaying in the city. Because um, we don't know if we're going to... I don't think we're going to another lockdown, but yeah, we don't know if we have to you know, stop doing live shows eventually. You know? Who knows? Yeah. But um, I guess to put out a little plug for these two venues that I'm booking at right now, yeah. Daryl's Tavern. It's up in Shoreline. It, like I said, punk, rock, glam. <laughs> really almost anything, though. Um it kind of feels like you're stuck in the 70s up there. But free parking Ooh. right off Aurora Ave, and you get 100% of the door. Uh, we make the poster for you. Brennan Mooring from Sea Life has been helping me out with those posters, so they look awesome. Hell yeah. And uh, at Timber Room, uh, we book all kinds, but I do try to keep the set smaller because that stage is pretty small. And... Um, it has like more of a Pacific Northwest vibe inside with a bunch of fake plants all over the place. And um, 
we do 100% at the door. That's not for forever, probably, but for right now it is. And you get free slices of pizza Very when nice. you promote your show. And uh, we book on Wednesdays and early weekend nights there um, at Daryl's Saturday and Sunday. Or, uh, sorry, Friday and Saturday. Um, so, yeah, come book a show with me. Hell yeah. <laughs> this has been the NAS Podcast with... Liz Slaybaugh. <laughs> we did it.